Hey, thank you for joining us this morning. I don't, this might seem a little bit weird, but I feel like I'm in the dark right here. So Mitchell will probably go take a look at that and see if he can fix it. But the Lord says to be in the light as he is in the light. So I'm going to go over to this spot right here. <laughs> see what I did there? Hey, thanks for being here with us this morning. And then I might go back to the middle here in a minute. I hope I didn't throw the guys upstairs off too much. But um, whether you're here this morning in person or whether you're joining us online, I, I just hope you're doing well. I just, having talked to a number of you, I just know that there's a lot that's going on in, in our homes, in, in our families, in our communities, in, in our schools. And, and as I came to this morning, I just was reminded of, of what Paul says in Romans chapter um, 15. And he just says, this, it's this blessing, this prayer that he kind of just speaks over the church. And it's my prayer that, that I just want to speak over, over you, no matter how you come into this morning, or, or whether, again, whether you're here or watching online, but he says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So Lord, we just come this morning um, trusting you, placing our hope and our faith uh, in you, grateful for your presence in our lives, grateful for the the grace and the love that you offer us, grateful um, that you bring peace and you bring joy, and you've given us your Holy Spirit. We thank you, and we praise you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this morning, as Mitchell mentioned, we're going to jump right back into uh, John chapter 7. As we continue to look at this series that we've been in for a number of months now, we're going through the gospel of John from beginning to end. And last week, we jumped right into John chapter 7. And today, we're going to pick up at John chapter 7, verse 25, because we only made it about halfway through. So if you happen to have your Bible with you, let me encourage you to open it up. And then as we've done a number of times at the beginning of or towards the end of last year, um, I'm going to ask for those of you that are, that are willing and, and able to stand with me this morning, to stand as we read from God's Word. We'll read from John chapter 7. I will read, actually. You're just going to listen and read along. But in John chapter 7, verse 25 to 52. And there it says, it says, At that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, Isn't this the man they are trying to kill? Here he is speaking publicly, and they are not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he is the Messiah? But we know that this man is from, where this man is from, when the Messiah comes, no one will know where he is from. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me, and you know where I am from. I am not here on my own authority, but but he who sent me is true. You do not know him. But I know him because I am from him, and he sent me. At this they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Still, many in the crowd believed in him. They said, when the Messiah comes, will he perform more signs than this man? The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. Jesus said, I am with you only for a short time. And then I'm going back to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. Then the Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we cannot find him? Will he go where our people live scattered among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What did he mean when he said, you will look for me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you cannot come. 
On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, he meant the spirit whom they whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his words, some of the people said, Surely this man is the prophet. Others said, He is the Messiah. Still others asked, How can he be the Messiah if he comes from Galilee? Does not Scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked, Why didn't you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards replied. You mean he has deceived you also, the Pharisees reported. Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? No, but this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier, who was one of their own number, asked, Does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have a seat. Now this morning, again, we're jumping into to John chapter 7 and about halfway through John chapter 7. And if you weren't here last week, there, a lot has taken place. And John is really intentional as he, as he looks over this entire week in John chapter 7. And so I just want to recap just briefly what, what took place last week for those, A, who, who maybe weren't here, weren't able to catch up with us last week, or even for those of us that were, just a quick refresher on what took place. Because it all started when Jesus kind of met up with his brothers, right? We looked at that last week in John chapter 7, and they were encouraging Jesus to go to this festival of tabernacles, this festival of, of tents or festivals of, of shelters, depending on, on what how it's translated. And they wanted him to go because they wanted him to increase his influence. They wanted him to increase his power. He, they knew he could ga- gather his disciples. He could rally the people. He could create more influence. He could build his kingdom. But what we talked about last week was that they actually didn't believe that he was the Messiah King. They wanted him to do all of these things, but they didn't believe that he was the Messiah. They didn't believe that he was the one who would establish the Lord's kingdom here on earth. And so they went... And Jesus shows up later. Jesus actually shows up separately. He comes in in secret. And about halfway through the week, he ends up at the temple. And at the temple, he's, he's teaching. And as he's teaching, all of the Jewish people are amazed. They're like, I just can't believe how this guy teaches with, with such authority and, and all of these things. He, because he's never been trained, is what they said about him. But I think we know that, that Jesus has actually been trained. He didn't come completely untrained because he actually said in this passage that we looked at last week and even a little bit this week, he said his teaching was from the one who sent him. His teaching comes from the Father. He says, I, I say nothing on my own, but only what I hear the Father saying. You see, Jesus, in, in, in the beginning when it was the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit together, he's, he'd spent time with God the Father. He spent time watching God the Father. He knows God the Father. So he knew what the Father would say. He knew what to teach. And he taught with authority. 
Now, in, in some ways, and maybe this is a, a poor metaphor, but in some ways, I think Jesus is, is like my children because my children, they, they know me and they spend time with me and they've been with me. And so they can actually teach and talk with authority about the Seahawks. Like they, they know more about the Seahawks than you would imagine just anybody without training about the Seahawks would, would have. And again, that's a, maybe a funny analogy, but it's, it's so true because here's a, a parenting principle for us about our kids is, is they, are, they are watching us, they are listening to us, they, they are with us, and who we are, they will eventually become. They will be learning from us. And, and for better or for worse, they will pick up on who we are and what we are about. When my kids were little, they were sponges. I mean, you could tell them something, and they would just repeat it back. They could memorize just long passages of Scripture. Like, like they're just, kids are sponges when they're, when they're little. But then when they become older, they actually become, I think, more like critics. And in the best sense of the word, but, but they're really good at, at judging, and, and not judging, that sounds bad as well, but, but being able to understand if something is true or not. They are watching and, and looking and listening to their parents. And they are under, able to understand, like, are the things that they believe and the things that they say, are they congruent with the way that they live? They just become human, really. They begin to understand that, that those things need to be congruent. They need to be aligned. The things that we say, the things that we believe are meant to be congruent with the, the ways that, that we live. And so I know that we said that Natasha is going to be teaching this parenting class, but let me just give you like, just one piece of, of parenting advice that I think is, is, is so key, and it's, and it's this, that if you want to see your kids follow Jesus, then your kids need to see you follow Jesus. It's simple in principle. It's very challenging in, in reality. Uh, we'll jump back into this passage now, but at the end of, of last week, here's what, what Jesus said. Is he's kind of wrapping up his teaching and he's talking to the, these crowds and, and he says, stop judging by mere appearance. But he says, instead, judge correctly. This is the last thing he says in verse 24 of, of chapter 7. In some translations, they don't say judge correctly. They actually say use righteous judgment. Now, this righteous judgment isn't judging like what's necessarily what's right or wrong or believing that, that you know what is right. And so I'm going to judge you because of I know what is right. But we understand this righteous judgment to be more of, of how God would define righteousness, which is right relationship between God and humanity, right relationship between humanity and, and itself, like what, between person to person, in the, in the right things taking place, like justice here on earth. Like those are the things of, of righteousness. And so what Jesus was saying when he said, you know, use righteous judgment, he's saying, let righteousness, let righteousness be your judge. And you can do that by asking these, these questions. You see, righteous judgment asks, does it bring or does this bring people to right relationship with God? Does this bring people to right relationship with one another? And does this make things in the world right? Does this make things in the world just? Does this accomplish what God has intended for it to accomplish here on earth. And I tell you all of this, like I, all of what took place last week, because it, it just directly leads into where we find ourselves and what we read this morning in John chapter 7, 25 to, to 52. 
Because all of these things that Jesus said, they, they raised all sorts of questions in the crowds that were surrounding him at the temple. Because they thought they knew who Jesus was. Because they knew where he was from. And they thought they knew his identity because they knew his family. And they thought that they knew his future because they knew his past. They thought they knew everything about Jesus. But he tells them, you actually don't really know me because you don't really know the one who sent me. You don't know me because you don't know the Father. And all of this, as John tells us, it divided the people. It split them up into categories. There were those that that believed in Jesus. There were those that believed that he was the prophet. There were those that believed he was the Messiah. The the Pharisees just simply believed that, that Jesus was trouble and they tried to arrest him. But as we learned last week and as we saw this week that his hour had not come yet, that it, this was not the right time for him to be arrested, that that would be a time or an hour that was, that was yet to come. And all of this, I believe all of this sets the stage. Like John was just leading us up through all of this week, right? Starting at the beginning, at the beginning of the festival. And then he says at the end that on the last and great day and greatest day of the festival, he says that Jesus stood up And he shouted on the last and great day of the festival. Now, we're going to get to that part in just a minute. But there's one element of this festival of tabernacles, this festival of tents, this festival of shelters that we didn't really talk about last week. There's this other element, this other tradition that they had during this festival. And and it was this, is that every morning uh, the, the priests would take this golden pitcher and they would take it to a nearby spring and they would fill this pitcher with water and then they would carry it and they would carry it back to the temple and the streets themselves would actually be lined with people. Everybody would participate in this and they would bring this this golden pitcher filled with water back to the temple to the altar where they would perform a, a, a libation which is really, it sounds weird and scary but really it just means they just poured the water over the altar as an offering to God. And they did this really for two reasons. One is, again, this was harvest time, right? They were celebrating the harvest, and they knew that post-harvest they were going to need rain. So this was just this, this almost this prayer, this request, this tradition to try to ask God for rain. But uh, as I mentioned last week, like this festival wasn't just about the harvest. It was actually pointing back to their exodus When Israel left Egypt and found themselves in the wilderness, that's why they call it the Festival of Shelters, the Festival of Tents, because they lived in tents in the wilderness. And now during this festival, they would actually live in tents to celebrate it. But as they were in the wilderness, they got thirsty, right? They were were in the desert and they they needed water. Maybe you remember the story in Exodus chapter 17 where where the people come up to Moses and they they start to complain. They're like, We are thirsty. We cannot find water. Why did you bring us out of Egypt to die of thirst here in the desert, here in the wilderness? And interestingly, Moses goes to the Lord and says, Lord, they're about to stone me because they are thirsty. And the Lord says, go and take the staff that you used to part the sea, hit it on this rock that I'll stand before and water will come out. And this ceremony, this, this libation, this bringing of this golden pitcher of water and pouring it over the temple, it was to remember how God had provided for them the water that they thirsted for in the wilderness, the water that they needed to survive in the desert. It was all just part of, of remembering and, and reliving and, and even in some way asking God for more, more of what he had provided for them in the past. 
And this took place every day of the festival. But on the last and greatest day of the festival, the priest would do this not one time or two times or three times, but seven times. He would go back to the spring and fill it up and bring it and circle the altar seven times. And he would pour the water out over this. And, and it was in this moment, on the last and greatest day of this festival, that I believe is it's where John points out that he says, Jesus stands up and Jesus shouts. And I can't help but thinking like that is the moment because those are two significant details. And we know if you've been paying attention, the details, they matter to John. He doesn't tell us this, these specific things for, for no purpose, but they had a reason. Like he says that Jesus stands. Now, if you remember, we've talked about Jesus sitting before when Jesus teaches because Jesus was a rabbi and sitting was the traditional posture of a rabbi when he was teaching. But here, Jesus didn't come to teach. No, he took a posture because his words were gonna have a, a different purpose. He didn't come to teach his disciples in this moment. No, he came to proclaim or to preach or to announce to anyone and everyone that could hear the shout of his voice. So he stood and then he shouted, which in NIV, if you read it, it didn't say shout. It said that he, he stood up and, and in a loud voice. But, but that same word is used in a number of different places and in different gospels. And when it's, when it's used to describe how the blind man shouted for Jesus to come and have, have mercy on him, it sounded more like a shout. And when, and when that word was used to describe how Peter shouted when he began to sink in the, in the water, when he was walking on water towards Jesus, that, that crying out was, was more of a shout. And when that word was used to describe a, a demon-possessed man who shouted for mercy from Jesus, it sounded more like a shout. And so John intentionally points out that Jesus stood up and he shouted to everyone, and the question is, why? Well, I like how Max Lucado or Max Lucado, I don't know how you pronounce it, potato, potato, it doesn't really matter. I just like what he said. He says this, he says, he shouted because his time was short. The sand in the neck of his hourglass was down to measurable grains. In six months, he'd be dragging across through the streets. And the people, the people thirsted. They needed water, not for their throats, but for their hearts. So Jesus invited with a shout, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. To go back to the Israelites out in the, in the wilderness complaining to Moses, like why did they come to Moses complaining? Because they were thirsty. Why would these people come to Jesus in this moment at his invitation? Because they were thirsty. You see, apart from, from air, like water is, is the most valuable and, and life-sustaining thing that we have. And, and you know, food kind of comes in, in in a close third, but it kind of goes like we need air first, and then we need water second, and then we need uh, <laughs> food third. We need these things not just to survive, not just to get by, but we need them in order to thrive and to flourish. And we need more than just a morsel of food. We need more than just a, a sip of water. We need more than just a, a sniff 
of breath. What we need is a source. I mean, we have an unlimited source, it feels like, of, of oxygen for the most part, unless you're underwater, right? Then you're kind of, you're out of it. But, but for the most part, we have an unlimited source of water, but when it comes to, of air, but when it comes to water and when it comes to food, we need, we need a source. We need to be replenished. We need to be able to find more. And what we see in, in chapter 6 and, and 7 and even back in chapter 4 is that Jesus is the source. He is revealed as the source of all of these. And not just physical bread, physical water, physical air. I mean, he does provide those things because he has created all of them. But what they represent as well, the spirit, the breath that is given to us of, of life, the food, like what we need to be sustained even as like Mitchell was talking about this morning. He provides and he is the source of all of those things. You remember how we talked to the woman at the well um, in chapter four? Listen to the words that he said to her there. He said, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And then just a few weeks ago, Jesus said this. He said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to, to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And then as we read today, he said, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from them. Jesus is the source of life for those who hunger and those who thirst. And, and as people, as kind of broken and, and messy and people and, and humanity, man, we, we hunger and thirst for, for all sorts of things. I mean, there's, there's plenty of things that we, we hunger for, that we thirst for, that, that we desire and we pursue and we go after, but very few of them lead to to human flourishing, the lead to a thriving life in Christ. Jesus points out in the Sermon on the Mount, he says that actually that blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. You see, this hunger, this thirst for, for righteousness, it's rooted in a deep desire for God, for right relationship with him. And this desire, this hunger and thirst for, for righteousness, for right relationship with God, it's, it is the, of greatest value to us. It is of greater value to us than actual air, water, and food. Now, tomorrow, as Jamie mentioned, we'll, we'll honor um, the life and, and the work of, of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King who hungered and thirsted for righteousness, for right relationship between God and, and humanity, for right relationship between humanity and, and itself, who hungered and, and thirsted for the, the world to be made right. And tomorrow we'll have an opportunity. We have, most people have a day off. I know not everybody does. But you, a day off to, to not just simply remember but to actually pursue and to hunger and to, to live out the exact same things that, that the Reverend King had, 
pointed out and, and lived out in, in his life. Now, in 1954, Martin Luther King gave a sermon that he entitled, Rediscovering Lost Values. And in it, he was looking at a, the passage found in Luke chapter 2. And maybe you remember this if you've read this because it's kind of a funny story, right? There, where Mary and Joseph, they take Jesus to a similar festival to the one we're talking about today, but it wasn't the festival of tabernacles. It was the festival of, of Passover. It had a, a whole different purpose and a whole different reason that they would celebrate it, but it was similar. It was last week and they had to travel a long distance to get there and then they had to go home. And, and on their way home, they, they got, it says, days from Jerusalem and they realized that they had left something valuable behind. What they left behind was, was Jesus, right? And so in order for them to, to go forward, they would actually have to go back and, and ret retrieve what was valuable in order to, to move forward and to get to where they were intended to go. That was the passage that he, that he looked at in the sermon. And here's what he said to, to sum it all up. He says, my friends, all I'm trying to say is that if we were to go forward today, we've got to go back and rediscover some mighty precious values that we've left behind. That's the only way that we would be able to make our world a better world and to make of this world what God wants it to be and the real purpose and meaning of it. The only way we can do that is to go back and rediscover some mighty precious values that we've left behind. And then at the end, he gives this powerful benediction. And I just want to read it to you. It's a little bit longer than that, but here's how he, he concluded. He said, I'm not going to put my ultimate faith in the little gods that can be destroyed in an atomic age, but the God who has been our help in ages past and our hope for years to come and our shelter in the time of storm and our eternal home. That's the God I'm putting my ultimate faith in. That's the God I call upon you to worship this morning. Go out and be assured that God is going to last forever. Some storms come and go. Our great, sky, our great skyscraping buildings will come and go. Our beautiful automobiles will come and go. But God will be here. Plants may wither. The flowers may fade away. But the word of God shall last, shall stand forever. And nothing can ever stop him. All of the P-38s in the world can never reach God. All of our atomic bombs can never reach him. The God that I am talking about this morning is the God of the universe and the God that will last through the ages. If you are to go forward this morning, if we are to go forward this morning, we've got to go back and find that God. That is the God that demands and commands our ultimate allegiance. You see, God is, is the source, the only source. God is the one who sent Jesus, and God is the one who was found in Jesus, who stood and shouted and proclaimed and announced to this crowd, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Because here's the thing, in this moment, Jesus was offering a new way back to God and a new way forward with God. He says, come. Come to him. Believe in him. Trust him. And he says that those who would, this is what John kind of points out when he talks about how all this is about kind of the Holy Spirit 
when he talks about the, the living water, that, that those who would come, those who would trust, those who would believe that, that they're going to be filled with this Holy Spirit. They're going to be overflowing with springs of water that would well up to eternal life. And there would no longer be a need to be refilled like a golden pitcher that they had to go back to the spring. Would no longer need to be refilled like a stomach that's run out of, of food to sustain it. Because you would have the presence of the living God in and through Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit in each one of those who, who believed. Those who trusted. Those who put their hope and their faith in him. And what he was saying in this moment is that these, these tents, these, these shelters, they would become tabernacles of the living God, temples where God's presence would reside. Not once a year at a, at a festival, but every day as we were sustained by the living water in the bread of life. So today... I believe that, that Jesus, although we won't hear it or see it, he stands and, and he shouts the same invitation to us in this room and those of us who are watching online. He stands and he shouts the same invitation. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. That's anyone, young or old, woman or man, faithful or faithless. It doesn't matter the, the color of your skin or the, or the country that you come from. Anyone means, means anyone. All are welcome. All are invited because all of us are thirsty. All of us at, at some level are thirsty. And we may come in with a different level of, of thirst today. Some people come just empty and dry. Some come in parched. Some come in depleted or dehydrated. Maybe just think, how are you coming in today? How, what where, what level of, of thirst are you at? And some of us come into this thirsting, like needing to take just the first drink of the water that, that Jesus offers. You've, you've never even taken in what he has to offer. Some of us might need to actually come back to this living water, to come back to this offer that was extended to us that we received years ago, and yet we've just walked away and, and let it be. And maybe some of us today just need to come and, and, and return to be refilled, to be replenished, to be refreshed. And, and maybe you find yourself in, in somewhere in a whole different way than, than some of those options. But we all come in thirsty this morning. And while this is where we find ourselves right now, what we know and what we understand is that, that this is not where we are in, intended to be. I believe that Jesus has more for us than just simply to, to wander around thirsty. I believe we get a picture of, of what Jesus offers and how he would have us to live and be when, when we read what the prophet Jeremiah wrote in se, uh, chapter 17, verse 8. He says there, he says, They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought, their leaves stay green, and they never stop producing fruit. See, Jesus today, I hope you can hear it. He stands and he shouts. and He says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, thank you for sending your son. 
who would come and would offer this living water, a way that we could be sustained by your indwelling presence of us if we just would simply hear his invitation, if we would simply come to the, to the well or to the spring or whatever we'd call it, and, and we would just drink in belief and drink in trust and drink in fidelity and drink in knowing that he is who he says he is and he will do what he says he will do. Jesus, you are our source of life and we are so grateful that we don't have to be refilled of you. And there's a lot of things that we need to be refilled of, Lord, but, but your presence, it, it fills us and it overflows us. We're grateful for that. We just pray that we would sense it and, and, and know it and even in some way understand it today. God, we come in this morning, like I, like I prayed or talked about, we're just in a variety of places, a variety of levels of thirst. And for those who are, who are dry, those who are going through a desert, I pray that you would provide for them and help them find their way to, a, to your spring of life. For those that are, just need to be rehydrated, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would fill them with your presence and your encouragement. And for those who need to come to you for the first time, I pray they would hear your invitation, your call, and they would step towards you and receive what you have to offer, Lord Jesus, the grace and life that you give. For those who have fallen away or have walked away, Lord, and just in, and need to come back to the water, may they hear your voice, hear loud shout, and return to you. And for those, Lord, this morning who just simply need to be refreshed, I pray that your Holy Spirit would pour over them in a new way, in a way that they could sense and feel and understand. Lord, we love you. We praise you. And we pray all these things in Jesus' name this morning. Amen. I have lost my appetite And a flood is welling up behind my eyes So I eat the tears I cry And if that were not enough They know just the words to cut and tear and pry when they ask me, where's your God? Why are you downcast, oh my soul? Why so disturbed within me? I can remember when you showed your grace to me as a
want to close this morning the way I started it. I hadn't planned to, but it, then as we were singing and as I was listening, I just felt like what Paul says to the church in Rome in chapter 15 of Romans, I feel like it's a fitting way for us to, to exit, exit this place today. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I pray God will bless you as you do. Have a great day and week, and we'll see you next Sunday.